This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want you to come, please, to Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5. And of course, the summer club has gone downstairs. Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And as he sat down and taught the multitudes, for, and as he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, "Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch." Simon answered and said to him, "Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net." And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Peter Simon, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. Amen. It's never easy to launch out again when your best efforts have fallen short. We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. It's never easy to launch out again when you have that feeling of failure. It's never easy to launch out again when you're in a place of lack. Their boats were empty. It's never easy to launch out again when your head tells you it will not work, but your heart is saying, maybe. It's never easy to throw out your nets again when all night they came back empty. And that was the position that these disciples were in. Peter didn't have much confidence at this point. He was very low in confidence. He said to Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Peter says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, Peter was by nature a confident person. He believed in his own ability. He was always quite sure of himself. He was brash, big-headed, even boastful of his own perceived strengths. But right now, at the moment, his confidence is very, very low. After all, if there had been fish there, he would not be stirring empty nets and empty boats. He used his knowledge, his experience. He gave it his best shot. 
but he produced nothing. He came up empty. And besides this, Jesus' stock and trade is carpentry. It's not fishing. I mean, what would he know about fishing? He was a carpenter all of his life. He didn't even live in a coastal town. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. No fishermen there. So at this point, Peter has very little confidence in himself. And to be truthful, the way he worded that answer to Jesus, he didn't really have much confidence in the master either. Oh, he knew he was a healer. If you read the chapter before, he was there. He saw mighty miracles. In fact, his own mother-in-law was raised up out of a bed of sickness instantly. But fishing, that's a different thing entirely. That's completely different. What could Jesus possibly know about fishing? And so it's hard to launch out when your faith and your confidence is very low. It's even harder to launch out whenever you're doubting about the Lord himself. When you're thinking, does God know what I'm going through? (laughs) Can he fix this? Can he do anything about this? And in the midst of that, when he's asking you to launch out again, it's very difficult. It's not easy. Elijah was in that position at one time. His confidence was severely dented. He just had the greatest experience of his life on Mount Carmel, called down far from heaven, put on a great exhibition of God's power, slew all those prophets of Baal, thought the whole nation would turn back to God, thought for sure that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel would be on their knees repenting. But none of that happened. In fact, Jezebel threatened to kill him. And he ran for his life as far as he possibly could go right down to Beersheba, right to the very bottom of the country, and right into the middle of the wilderness. And his confidence was at a low end. He was at the point where he didn't even want to live anymore. But God wasn't finished with him. He felt he was finished. He felt nothing's changed. I give it my best shot. I honored God. I did everything. But in fact, things has even got worse. They want to kill me now. But God had to come to him and get him to lunch out again. And he did lunch out again. And he did raise up another prophet. And he did anoint two kings. We know that John the Baptist went through a period of losing confidence. Whenever he was imprisoned, his confidence was shattered. Confidence about his own ministry. Confidence even about the Lord. Sent a delegation to Jesus. Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Are you the one? Have I missed it? Have I been wrong all this time? Has my ministry come to nothing? But Jesus said he was the greatest prophet that ever lived, even though he did no miracle. Jeremiah got to a place in his life where everything he prophesied 
was despised and thrown back in his face. And it's okay. It's all right. I know the kids' music's blurring down there, but that's all right. If you can, if you can just focus on me, that's okay. We'll just let it go. They're having a great time, amen? <laughs> I, I can, I, I'm not hearing it very well, so that's okay. If it's disturbed me, then you've got to worry. All right? <laughs> And so he got to the place where his confidence was so low that he says, Lord, I do not want ever to prophesy again. Every time I prophesy, they hate me for it. In fact, they beat him up. They put him in a pit for it. But God wasn't finished with him. He would have to launch out again. And he says, Lord, it's like a fire that's shut up in my bones and I cannot forbear. I have to prophesy. And they certainly did that. So Peter didn't have much confidence at this point. <laughs> Peter was convinced that absolutely it was the wrong time. Every natural instinct in Peter was saying, this is the wrong time. Look, do you see any boats out there? Not one. No self-respecting fisherman would fish during the day in the Lake of Galilee. Everybody knows that. Everybody that was standing on the seashore that Jesus just preached to knew that. So every instinct within Peter and those fishermen did not want to do this. It would look foolish to do this. They knew that in fishing, timing is everything. And this was the wrong time. And if you can't catch the fish when it's the right time, how in the world are you going to catch the fish when it's the wrong time? This is what was going through his head. It must have been. This was a crazy command to him. <coughs> but Peter here is about to learn a valuable lesson. And it's a lesson that we learn as we go through our Christian experience also. And even though in the natural it was bad timing, but here's the lesson. Any time is the right time when it's God's time. And it's the same for us as it was for him. Any time is the right time when it's God's time. It may not seem the right time for us, but if it's God's time, then any time is the right time when God's moving. It seemed too late. Abraham was almost a hundred Sarah was almost 90. It's impossible. How could they have a child? It's too late. The timing is gone. It's over, but it wasn't too late. Because any time is the right time when it's God's time. It's too late. Isaac is already on the altar. Abraham's already got the knife. In one second, he's going to plunge it into his son's heart. It's too late for God to deliver. But it wasn't too late. It seemed the timing was too late, but it wasn't because there was a ram caught in the thicket, as we said last week. It's too late. The Egyptian army is bearing down on the Israelites at the side of the Red Sea. They can't go backwards. They can't go forwards. They can't go east. They can't go west. They're totally cornered. They have no weapons. They're untrained and fighting. It's too late. But it wasn't too late for God. Sure, it wasn't. Because any time is the right time when it's God's time. And in God's time, at the right time, 
the Red Sea opened and they went through on dry ground. It's too soon. Samuel is only a boy. Surely he's too young for God to use. Surely God is not going to put such an awesome responsibility on so young shoulders as little Samuel. It can't be the right time. He's too young. It's too soon. But any time's the right time and it's God's time. And he wasn't too young and he wasn't too soon. It was right on time. It's too soon for Jesus to leave the disciples. It's only been 40 days since his resurrection. It's only 40 days that he had with them. And they didn't want him to leave. You can understand that. They wanted him to stay at least a while longer. It's too soon for Jesus to go. They're not ready for him to go. How could he trust them? I mean, just 40 days ago, they had their biggest failure as disciples. They deserted Jesus. They even denied Jesus. They betrayed Jesus. How in the world are they going to do the greatest mission that's ever been given to human beings? It's too soon for Jesus to go. And then Jesus actually tells them, but it's actually to your advantage that I go. It's not too soon. In fact, the sooner I go, the better for you. Because when I go, then the Spirit will come. Of course, those 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, the promised Holy Spirit came. And they soon found out it wasn't too soon for Jesus to go. They soon found out that he needed to go because they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be in them to carry out their mission. See, any time is the right time when it's God's time. Psalm 31, 15, the psalmist said, My times are in your hand. God has timings for our lives. Our lives, whether in the natural or in the spiritual, has cycles and seasons. And all of us who are getting older, who can look back in our lives, can see the cycles and the seasons. You see it in your children growing up, the cycles and the seasons. And especially in our spiritual lives, God's timing is everything. It seemed, at least for me, when I came into ministry, it seemed too soon. I was only four years saved. I did not feel in any way qualified. I looked around the church. I could see people more qualified. I could see people who had great gifts and talents who were much more capable. I saw people who could speak, who could preach, who could do all kinds of things. What did I know? I'd never been to Bible school. I didn't have a degree, and I envied those who did. I didn't have even a diploma, nothing. It seemed too soon. But it wasn't too soon. Because any time is the right time when it's God's time. And I thank God that I responded to that call. Because it was God's time. My time was in God's hands. And your time 
is in God's hands today. And then Peter learned that obedience brings results. And verse 5, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. In spite of his doubts, in spite of his considered opinion, in spite of what would have come naturally to him, in spite of his many years' experience in the fishing business, in spite of all of that, he said, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I don't feel like it. I know this looks daft, and I feel stupid for doing it, but I'm going to do it in obedience because you said it. Nevertheless, because you have given your word, I will let down my net. Mary said to those servants, the feast of marriage in Cain of Galilee. Whatever he says unto you, just do it. But they're just water pots. What's the point in filling them up with water? It's wine we need. We've run out of wine. We don't need water. We need wine. Whatever he says unto you, just do it. Obedience brings results. God has got intention in all of his laws of nature. When God set this world in motion, when God created this universe, he finely tuned it. Scientists are astounded how finely tuned everything is in the universe. Incredibly finely tuned. Even nature even the ecosystems of this world are finely tuned. I was watching a nature program recently, and it was in a, I think it was close to the Arctic Circle somewhere because I missed the beginning of it, but it was a massive forest. And there was acres and acres of pine trees. And the guy who was speaking, narrating this, he talked about the, the lynx uh, and the rabbits and the hares uh, in the forest. And he said, on the trees, so many weeks in a the year, there's these little moths and they have their little caterpillars. And he says, those lynx, those rabbits and those hares are dependent on those little caterpillars in the tree. He says, how so? Well, he says, those little caterpillars, he says, whenever they come out of their little cocoons, they start to eat the pines on the trees. They start to eat the trees. And he says, there's thousands and thousands and thousands just in every tree. And he says, there's an area where they eat, 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 eat. And he says, they kill the trees in that little area. And then he says, the trees begin to rot and they fall. And he says, then the sun breaks through into that dense forest onto the forest floor. And he says, then the grass begins to grow, little seedlings and saplings begin to sprout up. And he says, that feeds the rabbits and the hares, and they in turn feed the lynx. And he says, if it wasn't for those little grubs, if they didn't eat those branches and eat those pines and eat those trees, he says, there'd be no predators, there'd be no rabbits, there'd be no hares, no lynx. 
He says they're all interconnected. God has got intention. He's made everything with purpose and design. Everything is interlinked. There's a whole system that God has got in place. And how these evolutionists who look at that, including that guy I was listening, how they can't see God in this, I do not know. They just believe it just happened, just per chance. But then we know that God, because we mentioned last week, he can suspend all of those systems. He can supersede them because he's God. We said how last week that God at any time, for any reason of his purposes to be fulfilled, he can suspend and supersede. He can turn water into wine. He can take five loaves and two fishes and feed a multitude. He can cause the sun to stand still in the valley of Ajalon. He can cause a 90-year-old woman to give birth or a virgin who knew not a man to conceive. He can cause all of that. He can cause fishermen to go out in the noonday and fill two boats full of fish if he so desires. He can multiply the meal in the bar. He can make the little cruise of oil fill so many jars. Obedience brings great results. And all was required of Peter was obedience. Don't argue about it. Don't try to work it out. Don't try to figure this. Just launch out into the deep, let down your net, and God will do the rest. I know it's easier said than done, but that's the challenge, isn't it? And all of us at some point in our Christian life, to some degree or other, has had to do that. We've had to simply take God at his word and obey and step out into the deep. Peter learned that the word works. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Through faith and obedience, the word works. And Peter never forgot that. And I'll tell you why. You remember whenever they were in the boat in the midst of a storm and Jesus came walking onto them in the water? And at first they thought it was a ghost. Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter said, if it's really you, bid me come to you on the water. And what did Jesus do? He gave his word. He says, come. And as soon as he gave that one word, come, Peter went. He never forgot that by obeying the word, it brings great results. Through faith and obedience, the word works. You know that miracle catch of fish, and it was a miracle catch of fish because it says they were astonished. Seasoned fishermen, they had never, ever seen such a catch in the middle of the day. They were astonished at the results. And it had a profound effect 
upon those disciples. Actually, it was a turning point in their lives. You see, the Lord had called them before this incident, by the way. And they traveled a little bit with them. But they hadn't, as it were, gone full time. They were back to the fishing. But at this point, this is the changing point. This is where their lives was going to be different forever. Because when they saw this great catch of fish, which was beyond their comprehension, they knew this was a God thing. They knew it was a God thing. Someone said that Jesus, knowing where the fish were, demonstrated his omniscience, he all-seeing, all-knowing. But the massive haul of fish revealed his omnipotence, all-powerful. And at that moment, they realized they were standing in the presence of deity. Of deity. I want you to notice here, the reason why I say that, I want you to notice here in chapter 5, In verse 5, Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Epistatus is the word that Luke uses here. Epistatus. And when it's used here in this particular instance, it simply means... Master here simply means ruler, commander, dignitary, somebody of high standing. It was a respectful term. Master. But when you read on down here, it says in verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat that came to help them. And when they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And the word is kurios, which means Lord as in Lord God. Not just master being you're the boss, we respect you, you're the commander, we hold you in high esteem. But now it's Lord. This had a profound effect upon them. And every time we obey, every time we step out and launch it into our deep and obey, it unveils and reveals a little bit more of Christ to us that we never would have known before. He saw immediately that the Lord here had complete control over everything, even the very fish of the sea. Now remember in Genesis 1.26, what did the Lord say to Adam? I give you dominion over. And he mentions a number of things, including every fish of the sea and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And we know that man lost that dominion through sin. But Jesus never lost his dominion. 
Jesus had control, control over the very fish of the sea that he could cause them to come on a great shoal right at the very place in the wrong time of the day they were doing his command. Even he knew where the one fish out of a million was in that lake later on where Peter could cast a hook in and catch that one fish with the silver coin in its mouth to pay the temple tax. Jesus was out 40 days, 40 nights in the desert, fasting and praying. And it says, and he was with the wild beasts. But not one touched him. He was in complete control. And so this incident opened up their eyes. They began to see this is no ordinary man. Even, even later, when they're on the boat in that storm, and Jesus Remember one time he was with them and he got up and stopped the storm in the boat and he says, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He was in complete control over everything. Jesus told the disciples at one point, I want you to go into town and I want you to borrow a donkey. A colt, the foal of an ass, whereupon never man sat. Unbroken. And Jesus got onto it as he rode in to Jerusalem. In complete control over everything. And when they saw that, and they were astonished, and there was something of God that was revealed to them in Jesus then they gave up everything at that point. If you read there, it says they came back with this great catch of fish. What did they do with it? They walked away and they followed Jesus. And that was the finish of the fishing for them men. They gave up their business. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. Whenever we, through faith and obedience, launch out into the deep and we let down our nets, we're going to get a catch. There's going to be rewards. There's going to be blessing. God is going to give something in return. You cannot be obedient to Christ without getting a return, a reward. It's guaranteed. Can leave you one last thought. Big steps of faith and obedience are usually preceded by little steps. Let me point out something perhaps that you never noticed. In verse 4, Jesus says, Launch out into the deep. But in verse 3, before he preached, after he preached, launch out in the deep, verse 3, before he preached, when he got into his boat, he said, push it out a little from the land. Now, Peter had to be obedient at that point. He could have turned around and said, Lord, I've been up all night. I'm washing my nets. 
I'm tired. I'm hungry. I want to go to bed. And now you're going to stand there and preach for an hour and you want me to push the boat out. That could have been his attitude. But he was only asking to do a little thing, just put a little from the land. That's all. And he took that little step of obedience. And that tested him. Now the big step was coming next. He didn't know that yet. But it was coming after Jesus preached. And he was willing to do that also. If he hadn't taken the little step first, he never got a chance to take the big step. And that's usually how God works with us. He comes with little tests of obedience. Little thing to see, to test us. Are you willing? Yes, you're tired. Yes, you want to go to home. Yes, you want to go to bed. <laughs> but are you willing to push out a little from the land? And as you push out a little from the land, he says you're willing. And then the next is the big test. Launch out into the deep. But because you took the little step first, there's a greater chance you're going to take the big step. If you don't take the little steps, you'll never get a chance to take the big steps because you'll not be asked. He tests you with the little things first. So don't despise the day of small things. If it's only a little thing he asks you to do, do it. And this family that we just prayed over today that's leaving today, they were prepared to do the little things. Anything that needed to be done, they were prepared to do it. And God gave them greater responsibility. And it's the same with all of us. And so if somebody, here's a plug, if somebody like the pastor or somebody else in the church, head of a department comes and says, listen, could you give me a wee bit of a hand to do this? Huh. What are you going to say? Just do it. Take that little step. Just push it a little from the land. And then later on, God will entrust you with bigger steps, with greater blessing. Amen? 2 Peter 3.18 says we grow in grace. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3, our faith grows. So all of us, whether it's grace, whether it's faith, whether it's love, whether it's knowledge, whether it's wisdom, it's all a growing process. And God tests us a little bit from the land. And then later on, a lunch out into the deep. Let's pray. <clears throat> Excuse my voice today. It's, for some reason or other, it's beginning to crook on me. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you are in full control of everything. Lord, you have power, you have dominion, you have authority. And we thank you, Lord, as your followers, your disciples. We thank you for those steps of faith and obedience that you ask us to take. And Lord, we feel confident because of your words. We feel confident you will be able to do what you say you will do. We're confident, Lord, if you make a promise to us that you will keep your promise because it's your word. So we give you thanks for it. And Lord, whatever is we're going to face, Lord, this week or this month or this year, 
Whatever's ahead of us, you know. Lord, give us grace and give us strength to be obedient. To be obedient to say yes, to be obedient to say no, whatever it takes, help us to do it, that you may be glorified. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk